You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speakers, Travis and Don Rosina. For more information on other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. So glad you are here this morning. Good morning, Life Point. So glad to see your amazing faces. I do have the privilege this morning of inviting amazing friends as our guest speakers this morning, and it's a privilege and an honor. Um, me and my wife, we moved to Iowa seven years ago. I quit my job as a nuclear engineer to come and, and uh, help this church launch a campus ministry on the campus of Iowa State. It was a leap of faith. We didn't know a soul here in Iowa, and we, we came just trusting God, believing that he was in it. A year and a half into our adventure, trusting God here, our lead pastor actually resigned uh, kind of quickly and and unexpectedly to us, and it just, it totally caught me off guard. I I hope you can just empathize as I stepped out in faith and was believing that God was in this, and then all of a sudden, like, everything changed, and I just remember, like, the inner turmoil in my heart and the wrestling with God that, that I did in that season. Well, in that season, God provided for me an amazing friend and mentor. Our speaker this morning, Travis, his wife Dawn as well is going to share. But Travis just became a mentor and a friend, a sounding board in that season of my life. And I'm so grateful for the friend that he became, the mentor, the authority as, as me, just a young punk, just getting into ministry. He's spoken in my life with his over 20 years of ministry, was able to speak wisdom and just sound um, the, the, the mind of Christ in, in my situation. I really see uh, his wisdom, his friendship in that season is a huge part of why I got through and why I'm standing here before you this morning. And so we invited Travis and Don to our church over this, over this weekend. They spoke to a group of 80-plus um, uh, people, last, couples last night. That was just phenomenal time of ministry and encouragement and fun that we had together in this place. But I really believe that what 2018 marks is exactly what Joe said. It's a year of breakthrough for our church. For individuals in our church, that's nothing like in a corporate way. I'm just saying God, I believe, over individuals' lives is, is bringing us into a season of breakthrough. Where spring really is coming in our lives, like the light of Christ just shining upon lives. People seeing God differently, seeing their lives in light of eternity differently. And a huge part of that is how we relate to each other in the home, in marriage, in family. And so this morning, no matter what season of life you are in, if you're a single college student, if you're a single career young adult, I mean young adult or if you are married, if you've been married for decades, this morning's going to be relevant to you. So listen up, get to, the, get to the edge of your seats. Will you welcome Travis and Don Rossinger this morning? Well, good morning. We're super excited to be here. Um, we are so beyond grateful for Pastor Drew and Tanya. I just want to let you guys know, you guys have the real deal. We have been in ministry for 22 years, and we have seen a lot of people in ministry, and we've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. And honestly, what you guys have, you guys have the best. Pastor Drew and Tanya are just the most amazing people. They're genuine, and they have um, just um, made a huge impact in our family. Our, my son, Alex, um, is a part, has been a part of LifePoint for the last uh, four or five years. He was a student here at Iowa State, and we dropped him off, and he was 17, and we met Pastor Drew, and we're like, thank you, Jesus, that Pastor Drew is here and um, helped mentor our son. And where he is in his faith, we 
definitely credit to Pastor Drew and Tom. And that's, and that's him on the left, sorry. That's on, yeah, that's him on the left. So Travis and I have been married for 25 years. Uh, we have two children. We have Alex um, is our son and then our daughter, Samantha. Alex is uh, graduated from Iowa State. He's an engineer in St. Paul, and he is now engaged to Katie Stuva, which was a part of your, your church here. Um, we're super excited to have an amazing family member. We absolutely we, adore Katie. We hit the jackpot, right? We did. <laughs> um, she was at our house like four years ago, and we're like, why doesn't he like her? Um, What's up? Come yeah. on, Alex. And then uh, we have a daughter, Samantha. She is 20 years old. She is married to Jason, our son-in-law. They live in Cedar Falls, Iowa. He is there on staff with Chi Alpha. Super proud of them, love them, adore them. So that's a little bit about us. We've been in ministry for, like I said, 22 years. We live, um, we lived in Minneapolis for the last couple of years, but in November, God uh, kind of threw a, a, a little shift in our, our, our plan, our schedule, and he called us to Bismarck, North Dakota, to go to Evangel, and I, we know it's God because I would definitely move, not move anywhere further north or colder, um, but it was definitely God's will. We, we uh, love our church, um, feel honored to be a part, but um, so we are excited to be here. So we uh, started about four or five years ago, God put on our heart that we, um, we just wanted to be couple, uh, a couple together that would encourage marriages, mm -hmm. and so four or five years ago, we sat down and we wrote some stuff just with personal stories, and we really feel like God's called us beyond ministry on the weekends to go and encourage couples. So I just have a question for you real quick. How many of you are married? Raise your hand. Keep your hand up. How many of you are engaged? Everyone, hey, hey, wait. Some people put their hand down. How many of you are engaged? How many of you expect to get married someday? Raise your hand. How many of you have a son or daughter who's married? Keep your hand up. Hey, people are putting their hands down. How many of you know somebody that is married? Raise your hand. <laughs> See, this is an extremely relevant topic to everybody here. Yes. So I, real quick, I, you put your hands down. Get your hands back up. <laughs> okay, I'm just R putting my hand up. Right She's now, gonna I want, we're going to do a declaration. God, repeat after me. God, I receive, I receive everything you have for me today. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, I just wanted to give you a little bit of background. Dawn and I, again, my name is Travis. Dawn and I, we actually met, she was 14 and I was 16. And immediately I was attracted to her, loved her personality, and thought, wow, I want to hang out with this girl. But she was my best friend's uh, little sister. And so I just flirted with her, but I waited a long time to ask her out on a date till she was 16. And we started dating at 16. And when we were 19, I, I, I was like, I cannot live without you. I was starting to get nervous, scared. There was a guy that liked her, even though we were dating, and I was like, you jerk, what are you doing? And he asked her out on a date. Uh, and so when I went to go propose to her in front of a room of 30 people and got down on my knee, I made sure that guy that liked her, you know, that proposed to her, I made sure he was like the, at the top of the guest list right there in the middle of the room. And so I got down and I proposed, and she was uh, all excited, said yes, and that guy was devastated. I was like, all right, uh, put a stake through his heart, you know, a final nail in the coffin. And I know that sounds weird to get up uh, here in LifePoint on a Sunday morning. Pastor Drew introduces us. You're like, love, this guy, like, man, he, he's not a messenger of love. He's a messenger of, you know, like bad will or bad things, but... Um, in reality, though, I literally, truly, that happened. I wanted that guy in the room, 
because I wanted him to know she is off limits. She is mine. She's gonna, he's going to have to go find somebody else. And he really was devastated. I don't know if he ever got married. I'm not sure. He's probably still in therapy, right? But, but we've been married for over uh, 25 years. And, and some people might think, man, that's cold-hearted. Why would Travis... Uh, do that to that guy? Why would he make sure that that guy uh, absolutely knew that he had lost, that he was not going to win her? And the reason why I did that, in, in all reality, is because that's the heart of God. It's the heart of God. We know that it is the heart of God because in Exodus chapter 34, verse 14, we read these words. It's in the Old Testament portion of the Bible. It says, you must worship no other gods for the Lord whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. This is an incredible passage. Why? Because it describes our Heavenly Father in two ways. First of all, it says that God is a jealous God, and so it talks about an emotion that God has towards you and towards me. Did you know that? God is like, he, he, he's up there in heaven, and the moment you wake up every single morning, he's like, she's awake. Oh my gosh, she's awake. I, I, and, and he gets all excited and, and, and he sees you and he's like, oh, he's, he's getting into his car. He's pouring his coffee. He's going to, God is jealous. He's watching you. He loves you. He cares so much about each and every one of us. But it's not just an emotion or a feeling that he has about everybody in this room, but literally it's his name. You could, we could for the rest of our lives stop calling God, God, and we can say, hey, jealous, how's it going? Hope you're having a good day, Jealous. And you know what? That's true. That's what the Bible says. God has many names, and Jealous is one of his names. But the Old Testament portion of the Bible, this passage was written in the Hebrew language. And when you look up the word Jealous, it's used twice in this passage. It's the word Kana. And the word Kana literally means jealousy to the point of fighting. Did you know that God is so jealous for you that he will fight for you? God was so jealous for you that 2,000 years ago when mankind had walked away, we as a people had walked away from God, turned our back on our Heavenly Father. God said, enough's enough. I created them to be in relationship with them. I love them. And he sent his son Jesus to this earth to die on a cross for all of us. Not just for rich people or poor people or white people or black people, but for everybody he sent his son Jesus to this earth to die. God is so jealous that he pursues us. If you love someone, you'll pursue them. While I was pursuing Don, Jesus was pursuing me. He was pursuing both of us. I didn't want to share my wife with anyone else. And Jesus doesn't want to share us with anyone else either. When you pursue someone you love, you are fighting for them. I guess what we're trying to get at this morning, especially this, is when you pursue your spouse like Jesus pursued you, you are honoring God. You are honoring him in big ways. So you, you, hear, you hear that word pursue. What does that mean? What does pursue mean? So pursue means to follow or try to catch or capture someone or something for usually a long distance or time. So some people in here might be thinking, you know what? I just can't do that. I can't pursue my spouse because if you knew how flawed my husband was, you would definitely understand why you're, what you're trying to say. Pursuing him wouldn't work for us or for my marriage. I can't pursue my wife because my wife has so many flaws. My wife is broken. I can't pursue my husband because he's not the man that I dreamed about having. My husband never gives me what I want. My husband 
is selfish. I can't pursue my husband. I can't pursue my wife because they're broken. It's so easy to look at our spouses and see how broken that they may be when really we need to step back and we need to see how broken we truly are. Ladies, we need to realize that our husband's imperfections give us the opportunity to be like Jesus. Men, your wife's imperfections give you the opportunity to be like Jesus. You see, marriage is an excellent demonstration of love, but the problem is that we have such a customer mentality in our culture that we take it into our marriages and worse yet, into our Christian faith. It doesn't belong there. In order to have a strong marriage, we must all be willing to choose how we think about marriage and our personal role within it. In marriage, we said this last night, when you work on you, you work on two. When you work on you, you work on two. The older I get, the more I realize how broken I truly am and how much I am in need of God's grace and my husband's grace. In 1 Peter, it says this, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. I love the Bible. I love there's different versions. In the message version, you take the same scripture. It says, since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more, learn to think like him. Think of your sufferings as a weanings from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. Then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. I don't know about you, but there's many days that I wake up and I definitely want to get my own way. Can anyone relate to that? Many days I do that. So there was a woman one day who decided that she wanted to change how she was thinking about her husband. She was having this ongoing conflict with her husband over his bad habits. He would often leave his socks on the floor. He would forget to put the dishes in the sink. And he would wait way too long to mow the lawn. She decided that she wanted to try to change his behavior. So instead of getting angry at him for not picking up his socks or putting the dishes in the sink or failing to mow the lawn, she would decided that she would only focus on the positive things and reward him for every positive thing that he did. So now when he did something good like pick up his socks, she would run over there and she'd scratch his back. When he would mow the lawn, she would fire up the oven and she would cook him his favorite meal. She decided to try this technique for two weeks to see if it would make a difference. And what she found was at the end of those two weeks was that her husband had done a complete 180-degree turnaround in his behavior. He now mowed the lawn on time. He picked up his socks, and he put the dishes in the sink. They were no longer having conflict over these issues because he was responding so positively to the rewards that she was giving him. Everything with their relationship was going amazing at the end of the two weeks, until she went to, on to tell him that she had been using dog obedience technique training skills on him. She then went on to tell him that she had teamed up with a local TV station and had the house completely wired with cameras. It had all been captured on video. You guys, this is a true story. This really happened. So I imagine their marriage had some conflict over the way that she decided to change her thinking about her husband. And I'm not suggesting to you today that you use dog obedience techniques on training on your spouses. But what I am saying is that it is not as hard as you think to change your thoughts and your attitude towards your spouses. 
I love what uh, marriage expert Jimmy Evans says. He said, marriage reveals God and God's love more than anything else on this earth. And that is why the devil hates it so much. Did you guys know that your marriages are powerful? They're so powerful that there's an enemy that's fighting against you every step of the way. Because it knows if it can destroy your marriage, it can destroy your family, and it can destroy your kids. But it's powerful in at least three ways. It's powerful because your love for each other is a testimony of the love of Christ for this world. People will want what you have. People are watching your lives. In the Bible, Jesus said, they will know that we are Christians by our love for one another. Your marriage is powerful because your children learn what marriage and love are like from you. Yes, they learn from other people, but you, mom and dad, you're the ones that are currently under their microscope. That's kind of a scary thought some days, isn't it? I know there's some days, some mornings, like when my kids were there and I was pretty frustrated with Travis. But my kids were watching how I was responding and acting to my hus- towards my husband. Your marriage is powerful because the idea of having an imperfect marriage partner is probably the greatest gift to our spiritual maturity that God could have ever given us. Broken people, they can make great marriages that last a lifetime. Why? Because our human marriages are a picture of Christ and the church. Jesus pursued us when we didn't deserve his attention or his love. I love what it says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So there's this really cool passage in Ephesians chapter 5. There's a guy by the name of Paul the Apostle, and he's writing a letter. He's a, a, a first century amazing leader, one of the greatest leaders in the New Testament church that Jesus established. He's writing a letter to the Christians in Ephesus, and he's talking about a lot of deep spiritual things. And in chapter 5, he suddenly kind of changed the, changes the course of the conversation, and he continues to be very spiritual, but he starts to to talk about marriage. Let's read this passage. Maybe it's familiar to you, maybe it's not. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Again, Paul is writing about deep spiritual things, and then suddenly he takes a a kind of a slight detour, and he begins to talk about husbands and wives, about marriages, but he immediately says, husbands love your wives, or talking about marriages, just as Christ loved the church. Why would he bring up Jesus? Well, because we know that Christ sacrificed his life for the one that he loved. Jesus hung on the cross. Yes, he came. His love is available for everyone, but but you guys know it all starts started, right? Everything, you, me, it all started with the wedding in the garden with a man by the name of Adam and a woman by the name of Eve. And one day in the book of Revelation, the Bible says that it's all going to end, everything right here, or should I say begin, for all of eternity with the wedding, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so Paul brings up Jesus. Why? Because Jesus died for his bride. He was giving up his life, but he also wanted her to be set free from evil. Christ doesn't just forgive us. He sets us free from the chains of sin that continually make us holy. But he, he also 
also died because he wanted to present the bride of Christ. So often in the Bible, the term bride of Christ is, is applied or used for the church. That's us. And so he wanted her to be solely his. He was pursuing us, Kana, to the point of, of, of fighting for us, which he did. Why? Because he wants a relationship with us. But the ultimate goal is a beautiful bride. But that's not what he starts with, is it? Are there any sinners in the room? I'm going to raise my hand first, right? Man, you just talked to this lady a little while after 25 years. She knows I'm a sinner. She knows I'm flawed and broken and messed up. But the love of Jesus and the grace of God has been poured in our home. Paul is talking about deep spiritual things. He starts talking about marriage, but he doesn't stop there. We pick it back up in verse 28. He says, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. Are you guys seeing a, a pattern here? He, he, he talks for like three verses about marriage, but he immediately brings up Jesus. Then he goes back to marriage, and he immediately brings up Jesus. He's kind of going back and forth, and then he kind of concludes this passage in verse 31. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will be one flesh. What is he doing? He's quoting Genesis chapter 2 about how God says uh, where marriage kind of began and what it's going to look like. He goes on verse 32, but he says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Okay, I'm confused. Are you confused? If the Bible ever creates confusion, and, and I'm not saying it does, but if it, if it was ever, if there was a place in the Bible that caused confusion, I'm telling you right now, I'm confused as I read this passage, right? Now, I go to the Bible for answers, but as I read through this, and as I read through this most of my life, I was like, this is confusing. Is anybody here confused? I mean, come on, Paul. You're talking about marriage. Now you're talking about Jesus. You're talking about marriage. Now you're talking about Jesus. Marriage, Jesus. If he were to walk in right now through those back doors, come up on this stage and sit down right here, and I could interview him in front of everybody, I'd say, Paul, make up your mind. What are you talking about? Marriage or Jesus? Come on, Paul. We're confused. And I read this over and over again throughout my lifetime in one day. The Holy Spirit revealed to me what he was getting at. You see, Paul, he wanted to blur the line. He wanted to blur the line. He wanted ladies for the rest of your life. When you look at your husband, he didn't want, to see, want you to see the brokenness and all the flaws for the rest of, of their lives. He wanted wives to see Jesus' love for the church. And husbands, for the rest of your life, Paul wanted you, when you look at your wives, he wanted you to see Jesus' love for the church. Why would, why would Paul point us that direction? Why is that the starting place for every great marriage, the foundation of every great marriage? Why? Does anybody here like Polaroid cameras? Anybody here like, you, you know, our phones, we take great pictures, but... <laughs> You can't hold it. It's on your phone. But those Polaroids, man, they made a comeback, and they're everywhere, and you take a picture, and wham, there it is. It's like a picture. Paul's saying, grab your, grab your Polaroid. Grab it right now, quick. You want to know what a great marriage looks like? Take a picture of Jesus. Why? 
Because Jesus shows us how to act, how to behave, and what kind of goals and lifestyle we should have in marriage. So how did Jesus kind of pursue us? How did God love us? Well, just let me say this. Our culture here today that we grew up in, and even maybe if you're from another culture, it's possible uh, that, that you've experienced this as well. But we have been lied to. Did you know that? We've been lied to. We grew up and we're like, oh, the man pursues the woman and boy, he goes after her and he romances her and uh, all of this. And I love that. I think that's great. But you know what? The reality is when you love someone, you will fight for them. You will pursue them. You will go after them. And, and the truth is every great marriage, if it's a great marriage, it's usually because the husband and the wife are pursuing each other. And that's the picture, ladies and gentlemen in the room. And those of you that are single or one day maybe going to get married, that we need to be looking at. So how did Jesus kind of pursue us? Well, first of all, we know that he overlooked our shortcomings with his grace. Ultimately, Jesus was not here on this earth to point out our flaws. I remember growing up, and they taught me in church, John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And it drove me crazy as I got older. I was like, why did they stop? They didn't, they didn't teach me John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's so important. It's so crucial. See, I, I needed to be reminded of that. Maybe you need to be reminded of that in your broken marriage. Or, or maybe you're, you're single here today, and you need to be reminded that God did not send Jesus to this earth to condemn you. You know how we know? Because in John chapter 8, Jesus is teaching, and there's a circle of people around him, and these religious leaders of that day, they, they brought this woman, they found a woman who had committed adultery against her husband. She was found in the bed having uh, sex with a, a man who wasn't her husband. And so uh, they brought this woman, and they threw her at Jesus' feet, and they wanted to trap him. They're always looking to trap Jesus because they were threatened by him. They knew that he was the son of God, and so they threw this woman at Jesus' feet. They they had rocks in their hands. There was murder in the air. They could taste blood. And they looked at Jesus and they said, Jesus, you know the law of Moses. It says that we are to stone this woman, put her to death because she committed adultery against her husband. Jesus, you tell us, what do you think we should do? And they were trying to trap him. And maybe you know the story, maybe you don't, but Jesus, I love this. You know, the, the woman's, there's dust everywhere. They threw her down and he's like, he's like right next to her and he starts to write in the dirt. And they got mad, and I'm dying to know what he wrote in the dirt. No one knows, right? The Bible doesn't tell us. And he stands up, and they start yelling at him. And again, he bends down, and he writes something in the dirt. And then finally, he stands up. And guys, they are ready to murder this woman. They are ready to kill her. They have rocks. They are ready to, to, to commit capital uh, murder or punishment. And, and so Jesus finally just looks at him. He says, all right, you guys, you who haven't committed any sins, go ahead, throw a rock, throw a rock. By now, and when you read the text, it alludes to this, my Lord, I know he's, he's shoulder to shoulder this with this woman. He's like, come on, you think, you think you're so perfect, you think you're so holy, throw a rock. And it doesn't say this, but I believe it, but you're going to have to kill me. 
You think you're so great? Go ahead and throw a rock. And the Bible says that, that not right away, but one by one. It started with the older, maybe the wiser, and then it moved on to the younger. Rocks started to hit the ground. One by one, they began to leave, and finally no one was left. Jesus takes this woman, and, and he stands her up, and he looks at her, and he says, Where are your accusers now? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I have set you free. I don't hold your past against you, lady. Feel the love and the grace of God. Jesus didn't come to condemn us. Luke 23, 34, we know because Jesus is being murdered. He's been nailed to a cross, and he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they are doing. Andy Stanley says it this way when it comes to marriage. He says, stop trying to change your spouse and start becoming the kind of spouse that you want to be married to. Yes, they're broken. Yes, they're flawed. But when we take a, out a Polaroid, we take a snapshot like Paul is asking us to in, in the context of marriage, here's really what he's getting at. He's, he's, he's wanting us to live this way. When I see flaws in my wife, I need to be coming over here and going, God, don't hold this against her. God, she doesn't know what she's doing. She doesn't mean it. God, please forgive her. That's the heart of Jesus. That's the foundation of a great marriage. How did Jesus pursue us? Kana, he came on his knees as a servant in humility. In Mark 10, 44, trying to clear the air from a lot of pride, Jesus says, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was teaching his disciples and the people around him that even him, the prince of heaven, the son of God, did not come to this earth to have people wait on him and to serve him. I love what it says in John uh, chapter 13 and verse 3. It says, knowing where he had come from. Have you ever read this? This is crazy. One day this caught me. Knowing where Jesus had come from, knowing that he had come from heaven, that he was going to die and go back to heaven. I mean, it says, then Jesus got down on his knees and he washed the disciples' feet. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that incredible? The Son of God, the Prince of Heaven, washed these crazy, broken disciples. Do you remember the stories about the, these guys were messed up. But Jesus said, I didn't come here to have you serve me. I came here to serve you. I always, when I'm in a restaurant and a waiter or waitress comes up to me, I am so humbled and so honored because I am there to serve them. But for some reason, they're serving me. And I want to make sure that when I walk away, that that, that is an eternal uh, uh, experience. I want to make sure that they know that they are loved by God. And I want to honor them whenever people are in our lives like that. So what are we getting at? Pursuing my spouse the way that Jesus pursued me, it, when I do that, it is so honoring to God, even in all their flaws, even in all of their brokenness. How did Jesus kind of pursue us? He also was and is our best friend. In John 15, 15, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus is our best friend. Isn't that cool? I remember when I was a teenager, I was, I was just kind of messed up. Like, I got a Bible, it's what I wanted for my birthday, and I read it, and I just started to believe it. I was like, whoa. This is crazy, because I got to the part where I read about how Jesus is our, our friend. 
and, and he no longer calls his servants, and it just blew my mind. And this might sound cheesy or weird, but I, I came across a button that said, Jesus is my best friend, and I put it on my shirt and my jacket, and I wore it around for a year because I wanted the world to know that if God claims me, I'm claiming him. And I'm so grateful that he's my best friend. And in the context of marriage, as I'm serving my wife, not looking to get everything from her, but I'm serving me, her, or serving, you are serving your husband. Uh, not only that, we want to be best friends. It's the couples that find uh, things that they love to do together. Donna and I, we love to run. We love to uh, just take adventures and do a ton of stuff together. And it's in that. It's in the communitas, the, the shared community of these new adventurous experiences that our hearts are are bonded together. Yes, we're broken and flawed. Yes, we have problems in marriage. We're not perfect. But pursuing my spouse the way that Jesus pursued me is honoring to God. I, I want to say this. Being and staying committed to an imperfect spouse is possibly your best expression of Christ here on this earth. It's true. Being and staying committed to somebody who is broken. Man, the world, it's probably one of the greatest uh, uh, apologetics this world has ever seen. When a husband and a wife who have issues, have problems, but they fight it out, they love each other, they fight for one another, not against each other. Man, the world is going, wow, they got something special. Lastly, how did Jesus pursue us? He was always looking for ways to demonstrate his love. And I, I'm so grateful for that. John 10, 17, the reason Jesus said my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. That's the key phrase. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Do you remember Jesus in the garden right before he was to be betrayed? He's like, I can't do this. Father, take this cup from me. And he's sweating drops of blood. But finally, as he's praying, as he's wrestling in his full humanity and his full uh, uh, godness, you know, just that, that full being, that fully being God, and all of a sudden, in a moment, he says, you know what, but not my will, yours be done, Father. And he gets up. And he goes, and he allows himself to be betrayed. Why are we talking about this and taking that picture and pursuing our spouse? Because Jesus pursued us, and it's a great picture of exactly how we need to be in marriage. So I want to ask you this morning as we conclude, what are you pursuing? What are you pursuing in your marriage are you pursuing hobbies, your career? Are you pursuing friends or, or all these things? We had a guy come up to us one day, massive guy, and he came up to us at the end of, of one of our, our times together with a bunch of couples, and he was just crying. He was like, man, I was supposed to be at a hunting weekend, he said, with my buddies. He said, but I got the text about, about this marriage thing, and he said, I knew we had to go. It was the Holy Spirit, right? And, and he came, and he said, I want you to know I've been putting my hunting and all the things that I like to do above my wife and my kids, it ends today. There's this massive guy, and he's crying. I'm like, that's awesome. It's so awesome. So what's more important, your spouse or your dreams? What are the things that you are pursuing? Jesus pursued you in your brokenness, in your marriage to your spouse. We need to be pursuing them, no matter if we're broken or not. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.